Well, let's turn to Romans chapter 8. I'd like to speak to you this evening on the prayers of our high priest. The prayers of our high priest. And uh, we'll read a verse here in Romans and then one in Hebrews. Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Christ at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. And in Hebrews 7.25. Hence also he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Let's pray. Father, help us now as we consider this work of Christ his intercession for us. Speak to us, we ask, by thy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. When we think of the high priestly work of Christ, probably the first thing that comes to mind is the fact that he was a once-for-all sacrifice for sins. But when we think of the high priestly work of Christ, we should also think of not just what was done there on the cross, but the the reality of the continuing intercession for his people in heaven. That's part of the priestly work of Christ. So the question I want to pose and try to answer tonight is in heaven, what is it that Jesus prays for? What are the prayers of Jesus about in heaven? These intercessory prayers that we read about. The biblical record gives us some hints as to what Christ's intercession looks like. For one, we have the account there of Peter and the fact that Jesus said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. That type of prayer... I think, was not only for Peter. Christ prays that our faith fail not, that we wouldn't make shipwreck of our faith. 
We also see that he is a continual advocate for us, that even though we may yet sin in this life, we would continue to have his perfect righteousness. That's in 1 John chapter 2. Let me just read it to you. You don't need to turn. My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So we have this account or this reality of the fact that he is a continual advocate for us. But I think the best place to see how our high priest would pray for us is in John chapter 17. So why don't we turn there? I'm sure there are many other places we could look in the scriptures for individual accounts of how Christ prays for us. But this, this is the, the biggest section, the most complete section and certainly the longest prayer that we have of Christ in the Scriptures. To really get a feel for these things that we're going to look at here, just briefly, we should read the whole section. I don't think we'll do that, but if you really want to get a hold of what we're talking about tonight, go home and read this chapter. It'll do you more good probably than uh, what I've got to say here. But maybe this will spur you on. Um, This prayer, and it was a prayer, as you see in verse 1, These things Jesus spoke, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy Son, that the Son may glorify thee. This was a prayer from the Son to the Father. And it was, first of all, for his immediate disciples. We see that in verse 6. I manifested thy name to the men whom thou hast given me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them to me, and they have kept thy word. He's talking about his immediate disciples there. But he extends it. He extends this prayer on out to all future believers in verse 20. I do not ask in behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. So everyone who's believed down through the centuries is included in this prayer in terms of these things that he was praying for. So I think these requests that we're going to look at here give us some idea of how Christ intercedes for us in heaven. I'm going to look at five different sections just briefly here this evening. This is very brief. First of all, verse 11. I am no more in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. I come to thee, Holy Father. Keep them in thy name, the name which thou hast given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. So, The prayer, keep them in thy name. Now the basis of the request that Jesus is making here is the name of God, the character of God. 
And the idea, I think, partly anyway, of what he's saying is, is that they would be kept from falling, keep them, keep them from falling from the father-son relationship that I've established and taught them about and will bring about because of my life, death, and resurrection. Keep them in that. Don't let them lose it. Keep them in thy name. The second one is in verse 15. I do not ask thee to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Now you see that the word one there is uh, in italics. That means that that's supplied. I think it's probably right, but it could be keep them from evil, from the evil or from the evil one. Either way, what he's praying for here is our protection and our perseverance. That means that our protection and our perseverance is not left up to us. The world, the flesh, and the devil are too much for us in our own efforts. And Christ knew that. So he's going to pray. He did pray. He is praying that we'd be kept from evil and the evil one. If we persevere in the Christian life, it's simply because Christ is praying, Father, keep them. Number three is found in verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. Sanctify means to set apart. And I think here it's to be set apart for God, for God's use, for God's glory. Sanctify them. This implies holiness, to be set apart from the corruption of the world, and to be set apart not just from something, but to something, from the world to God, to God's use. So again, Christ does not leave us to try to sanctify ourselves. He gave us God's word. This is what he said, sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. He gave us God's word. And not only that, he prays that it would be effectual in our lives. Sanctify them in thy truth. Thy word is truth. Number four. This is a number of verses here. 21 through 23. We'll start with verse 20. I do not ask in behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that thou didst send me. And the glory which thou hast given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one, I in them, and thou in me, that they may be perfected in unity, that the world may know that thou didst send me and didst love me, even as thou didst love me. Over and over there, he's talking about that we might be one, that Christians, down through the centuries, 
would be one, perfected into a unit. He wasn't praying for uniformity or some kind of institutional unity, but a personal, dynamic unity of spirit among all believers. It's a unity founded on love, which we're told is the perfect bond of unity, and it's a unity that is like the unity of the Father and the Son. It's a oneness like the Father has with the Son. That's incredible. And that's the, he's praying that that would be the case for all Christians, that they may be one. And then number five is found in verse 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, in order that they may behold my glory, which thou did give me, for thou didst love me before the foundation of the world. A prayer that they, that Christians, that we here, if we're Christians, would be with him in heaven and would behold his glory. Think of this. Here's the perfect high priest praying perfectly according to the will of the Father, and he asks that we would be with him in heaven. That means that that prayer will be answered. It's a prayer of Christ. There's no question about it. If you're a Christian, you will be with him in heaven. And you will behold his glory. He prayed that that would be the case. And he is even now at the right hand of God asking that every one of his followers would be there with him. This should give us great peace and assurance. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote a, a commentary on John 17. And he entitled the book, The Assurance of Salvation. Now, Maybe you've never tied that together, but if you want to find assurance of your salvation, see what Christ is praying about here. Because he's praying for you as a Christian. There's your assurance. Robert Murray McShane once said, If I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference He is praying for me right now when I need it in whatever situation. Well, to sum up then, Christ intercedes for us that our faith fail not, that even when we sin, his righteousness would be ours, that we would be kept in God's name, that we would be kept from the evil one, that we would be sanctified in truth, in the truth, that we all would be perfectly one, that we would be with him in heaven and behold his glory. We cannot do any of those things on our own, but we have a high priest who always lives to make intercession for us. So I hope you'll go home this evening and read... John 17.